you can deal with this. Martin Merrill, I'm just going to pray for him. Father, bless your servant as he shares what you put on his heart for this morning. We pray, Lord, that you will anoint him, that you will empower him, and that you will cause him to make sure he says all that you need to be said. And make sure he doesn't say anything that you don't need to be said. Lord, just <laughs> bless him this morning in Jesus' Amen. name. Amen. 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 Right, I'll... Okay, so... Um, so, uh, good morning everybody. I understand um, we're also going live on YouTube, so if you're watching via YouTube, welcome. Um, we're carrying on with our series uh, called From the Ground Up, and I think we're up to part eight. Okay. Um, uh, and today, um, my topic is... Uh, temptation and is it working yeah. oh bless you all right so um, it's temptation and uh, if you want to zone out now that's fine because I feel that God has um, already started talking to us through worship anyway and one of the points that I wanted to make was one of the songs that we've sung which is there's nothing better than you. So what would be great when I've finished is uh, maybe if we can sing that again, that would be fantastic. Um, so I hope you can all see the slides. Um, as I've been preparing for today, I've again and again I've sensed God's heart for us. Because I know temptation sounds heavy and intense, and yet I've sensed his heart for us, and it's a heart of love, of compassion, and delight. And so I want to encourage you, as I speak, that you would listen for his voice and pay attention to where he might highlight something for you because he loves you and he wants you to go deeper with him. Uh, this is the uh, verse that I've been given today. So I'll read it. It's from Matthew chapter 6, and it says... The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We'll come back to that later. But first I want to ask you a question. Have you ever read something in the Bible and you've understood it and then years later, God reveals something in the same passage that you'd not previously picked up on. It was always there, you just not noticed it. I want to give you an example. So if you've got your Bible with you, um, can I encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 20, which is where we find the Ten Commandments. They're kind of summarised up there. <clears throat> Now, I would be willing to bet that you've looked at the Ten Commandments as a list of things God says you should or you shouldn't do. Right? It's not a trick question. Uh, absolutely. 
But there is another way of looking at the Ten Commandments that I think is a more complete way of looking at them. And that is to realise that within each commandment is an invitation. So let's look at some of them. So the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. It's not just a don't do this, but there's an invitation in there. And it's this, if you walk with me, you will have all that you need. You don't need a multitude of gods to meet different needs. I am the living God and everything you need is found in me. Will you walk with me? Do you see the invitation? Uh, The eighth commandment is you shall not steal. And there's an invitation in that as well. I will meet your needs. I will take care of you. There is no need for you to take anything that belongs to anybody else because I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Will you trust me that I will meet your needs? The tenth commandment is you should not covet your neighbour's house, his wife, servant, ox, donkey, Xbox or anything that belongs to him, in that there's an invitation as well. I'm able to provide everything you need. Comparison is a killer. There's no need for you to compare yourself to anybody else because I'm leading you on your path. Will you trust me? Do you get what I'm trying to say? The Ten Commandments are not just uh, God saying, do this and don't do that, but they're an invitation into life. It's what you might call a shadow and a type of what Jesus said in John chapter 10, when he said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Even when God is telling us we should not do something, it's a reflection of his love and goodness. Because he loves us, he does not want us to live in a way that is less than what he has for us. He loves you. He's for you. His way for you is the best. Another example of this is in 1 Peter chapter 1 where God says, Be holy as I am holy. Now, one common way to read this is to feel quite intimidated by that. How can I be holy like God? And maybe you can feel like it's actually focusing on your shortcomings and your failings. But maybe the way to look at this is to hear God saying, I'm holy and I made you to be like me. And I want you to be holy too. I cleansed you through the blood of Jesus and by walking with me you can live a holy life. Do you see the invitation? Another way to look at this is that whenever we are tempted to sin or settle for less than what he has for us in that place there is always an invitation for us to choose something better so I want to show you that these are not solitary incidents incidents so I'll prove it to you so I want you to finish the sentence for me don't get drunk on wine 
but be filled by the Holy Spirit. Whenever you see God say no, look for where his yes is. Whenever God says not that way, look for the path he has got for you. Um, I briefly touched on uh, John chapter 10 before, so we'll, we'll go there. Um, it says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life to the full. That sounds pretty amazing to me. And yet we know that so many people see God as a killjoy or a bully or a spoil sport or a fuddy-duddy who's out of touch, someone who sucks all the joy out of life. What Jesus says here has been twisted and perverted and many don't believe that what Jesus said is true. It's often seen that the way to know life in his fullness is something you need to figure out yourself and you need to do it away from God. It's a deception. It's the same deception that the devil used with Eve in the garden. That what God says is not true. He's withholding something from you. Take my advice. Do what I suggest and you can have something really good. Do you recognise that? John chapter 10 uh, speaks about this as well. Not only does it tell us that Jesus came to give us life in all its fullness, but it clearly states that the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. One of the ways he does this successfully is he gets people to buy into what he says or to view things through a distorted lens that often twists the truth about things and especially about God's goodness. In Genesis, Eve bought into the lie that what God had said was not true and look at the cost of that. The devil's tactics are the same with us. He wants to steal, kill and destroy and he will lie to you and try and get you to doubt what God says and that God is good. Jesus offers us life. What the devil offers is loss, death and destruction. Now please listen carefully to what I'm about to say. If I could, I would sear this into all our brains. I would get you a t-shirt with this on. I would want you to have this somewhere prominent. In any temptation, the devil will always take more than he gives. Always. If you give in to temptation and sin, you will never leave that transaction with more than before. He never gives more than he takes. In his outstretched hand, he may be offering you a £20 note. Oh, look, there's this lovely £20 note. But what you don't realise is he's taking the wallet out of your pocket and he's emptying your bank account. Oh, I've got 20 pounds. You've got nothing else. You've been cleared out. That's what it's cost you. He is a thief. A thief does not break into your house to add to your valuables. <laughs> he is looking to take everything from you of value. 
In 1 Peter, it describes him as a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. He is ruthless. He hates you. He detests you. He has no affection for you. He has nothing good for you. And one of the reasons is because you remind him of Jesus. You remind him of Jesus. And he hates you for it. He is not someone to feel sorry for. He has no sense of remorse for wanting to utterly destroy you and everyone you love. That is why with every temptation to sin, it will cost you far more than it gives you. How many times have we heard of someone being unfaithful to their spouse, thinking no one will ever know, for it ultimately to destroy them and their family? The real question with any temptation to sin is not what does this give me, but what will this cost me? Um, Years ago I heard about a Jewish word, I've probably mentioned this before, and I can't remember what the word is, but the meaning of it was a forward-casting shadow. And the idea was that before you do something, you could see the effect it was going to have. Before you made a decision, you could see the outcome of that decision. Imagine that. How would any of us act or make a decision if we could see the result of that decision? You'd see the cost of it or maybe the benefit of it and the joy it would bring. I think that if we had that ability, one of the things we would quickly see with great clarity is that there is no better way of doing life than with Jesus. To say yes to him and his ways and no to anything that is less than what he's got for us. I think it would show us that Jesus was speaking the truth in John chapter 10. And when we face temptation of any kind, we need to know that it's not inevitable that we will give in. This is from 1 Corinthians and it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Do you see in that passage what I was trying to show you from the Ten Commandments? What God is talking about here is not just a way of escape. But at the same time, there's an invitation to something better. Something deeper with him, doing life with him. In James chapter 4, it says, Submit yourselves to God then. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you see it in this passage as well? The invitation? If you resist him, the devil will flee from you. But there is also an invitation from God to go deeper with him by submitting to him. He's so good, isn't he? He's so good. Let me give you some practical godly advice here that I hope will help you and that is when you're tempted resist the devil tell him to get lost and push into Jesus and if you really want to irritate him then every time he tempts you start praying that revival will break out in Chelmsford 
that your neighbours will get saved, that God's fire would fall on the church, that the revival in China would step up a gear, the whole of China would be saved and it would overflow to every other country. Make it cost him to attack you. Having said that, there's one scenario I would like, I would take a different approach. And that's in regard to sexual temptation. Because 1 Corinthians gives us a completely different instruction. Flee sexual immorality. Flee. It's interesting that in this circumstance, it's not the devil who flees. We are the ones instructed to do so. And the reason is that if you stay where you are and you try and resist, the chances are you'll get overwhelmed. The best thing to do as soon as you see that kind of temptation rearing its head is get out of there. Do what Joseph did. Be on your toes. Don't stop to reason with what's going on or try and convince yourself that you won't give in. Get running. Get out of there. Practically, that means get out of any situation that could lead to compromise or giving in. Don't allow yourself to be alone with anyone you're attracted to who's not your spouse. Don't go for coffee. Don't have lunch together. To quote Sarah Petherick from a few weeks ago, take a different train. Do you remember that? Now, maybe for you, it's that you need to change the channel on your TV. Or stop surfing those internet sites. And if you have to, get rid of your TV. Throw your computer away. If you're thinking, just a few more minutes, or just a couple of more sites, that thing will overwhelm you. Steal, kill, destroy. That's what's going on right there. If you struggle with this, get help and get accountability. Recognise that what the temptation is offering you does not compare to the invitation that God has got for you. Let me tell you about another kind of temptation you might not immediately think of, but is absolutely toxic. One of the ways the devil attempts to deceive people is to try and prevent them from knowing and believing that they are who God says they are. One of the reasons he does this is that he knows that when God's people truly grasp who we are, how good God is, the authority we carry, then God's kingdom is going to advance and that's trouble for him. Once again, he is trying to convince people by whispering, Did God really say? Are you really precious to him? You don't feel very precious, do you? If you don't feel it, then maybe it's not true. You're one of seven billion. How unique can you possibly be? You've never done anything amazing. You're dull and pointless, and you will never amount to anything. The world would actually be better without you. 
and wouldn't even notice if you weren't here. It's not really worth going on, is it? You ever heard that voice? It's not God speaking. It's not the voice of someone who loves you or is speaking the truth. Listen a bit more closely and this is what is behind that voice. I'm going to steal from you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to destroy you. I hate you. That's what's behind that voice. Understanding, believing and embracing God's truth is essential for us and it is life-changing. I absolutely love this Bill Johnson quote. I can't afford to have thoughts in my head about me that God doesn't have in his. Ponder this. Write it down. Memorise it. It's truth we all need to grasp, absorb and be convinced of and changed by. Let me approach this from a slightly different point of view. I don't want anybody to answer out loud, but I'm going to ask you a question. But in your head, answer this question. Are you a sinner? If you answered yes, then my next question would be, why do you think that? Or maybe a better question would be, who told you that? The Bible says you were a sinner. And the sinner that you were was co-crucified with Jesus, buried with him, and is dead and gone. You were raised to life as a new creation with a new heart and a new nature. That nature has a bent towards righteousness, not sin. Have you noticed that in none of the New Testament letters are the believers addressed as, for example, the sinners in Ephesus? But yet frequently you'll find the letters addressed to the saints or God's holy ones. That's our identity. If you are convinced that sinner is your identity, then it's hard not to think that sinning is inevitable. Because that's who you are. After all, sinners, well, sin. But you're a saint, not a sinner. That means your identity and inclinations are to want to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus. You've got a new heart. Graham Cook puts it this way. If you're a Christian, you do not have a sinful nature because it was crucified with Jesus. You may have a sin habit, but you no longer have a sinful nature. If you are born again, then it's no longer who you are. You are a new creation, washed clean, and he's given you a new nature, one that lives for him and to please him. He's changed you so completely that when you indulge in old sinful habits, they don't satisfy anymore. They just make you miserable. This is one of the reasons that we're told to be 
transformed by the renewing of our mind. When you see things the way God sees them, when you see yourself the way God sees you and believe what he says about you, it exposes the lies we might have been believing and it frees us. Jesus said that the truth would set us free. And this is one of the ways to understand our passage in Matthew 6. There are commentators who say that in this passage the eye is a metaphor for spiritual perception. The light is Jesus' teaching. The darkness is formed by the lies and opinions that blind us and deceive us. There's a story I heard a while ago of somebody who was a cross-channel swimmer. And um, they set out with their boat following them and a fog descended. And they kept swimming, they kept swimming, and they kept swimming. And they couldn't see very far. They knew the direction they had to head, so they kept swimming that direction. And several hours in, they just felt, I'm not getting anywhere, I feel the tide is against me. I think I've probably made it about halfway, but I'm not going to do it today. So they gave up and they got in the boat. And the fog lifted, and they were 100 yards from the shore. <laughs> Sometimes we can feel like we're surrounded by fog. God asks us and invites us to trust him. To trust him that when he tells us that he loves us, that his way is best, that when he says no, or wait, or go that way, he does so out of love that we should take his hand as he is the one who offers life in all its fullness. Trust him that he sees everything with complete clarity, that we're not lost, we're just a hundred yards from the shore. You are so loved by him. Even if you feel that you frequently fail or are stuck in sin, God has an invitation for you for something better. He offers forgiveness, freedom, cleansing, a new start in life with Jesus. In 1 John it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sinner may be who we were, but it's our past. Saint, holy one, loved child of God is who we are now. God leads us, he guides our steps and protects us and rejoices over us. We can trust him. So let's choose to believe that what he says about us, who we are, what our worth is, that he is the one who offers life in all its fullness, is the truth. Can we have the band back, please? And we're going to sing that song again. Um, and I just want to encourage you, if you feel God's put his finger on anything for you, then...
uh, use this song just to do business with him. If you want someone to pray with, then grab somebody. There's, there's a few of us around, aren't there? So that would be good. Um, but if there's one thing I want you to take away, it's, it's the words of this song. Nothing is better than you. Nothing. Nothing.